Right on writers and welcome first time viewers to the Books by Adrian Author platform. This is Typewriters Podcast. Whereas in Livestream Sunday, we got into the career and the books and the writing, uh, you know, journey, as it were. This one is a little bit more about the craft and how we do what we do and why and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, more laid back for you guys. So if you love Livestream Sunday, welcome to Typewriters Podcast, where we continue the conversation with this week's guest, Garrett Robinson. I'm going to have him out in just a minute. And... Uh, like comment subscribe if especially if you're on itunes subscribe and leave a review that's the best way to help us to like move up in the algorithm and all that kind of good stuff if you're watching this uh on youtube uh there should be a live chat going on and i should be in there so if you have any questions that maybe we didn't get to uh during this show or the last one go ahead and ask if i can answer i will and if not we'll pass the questions along to mr garrett robinson for a future episode so uh welcome everybody let's dive right in and Get him out here, Mr. Garrett Robinson. Hello. Yo, what up? No crackling sounds for you on this one. I apologize. <laughs> I was anticipating my shoulders were just starting to arch up a little bit. Head sinking nope. into my neck. <laughs> no, we're just going to keep it nice and cash. Nice, nice. and cash. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> dude, thank you so much for being on Livestream Sunday. That was a great episode, a great premiere. I, I had a blast. A blast. Um, yeah. I was I was a little worried when I didn't hear from you at first, um, but it turns out that my email got lost in the in the spam folder, which tends to happen. Um, I'm like I'm a, a, not as into tech stuff, but like I hear I've heard that like everybody's changed rules on email now, mm. and it does not seem to have reduced the amount of junk mail that I'm getting. No, but it has. <laughs> increase the amount of legitimate email that lands in my junk folder and i'm super annoyed about it yeah same here man same here every once in a while i just have to go in there and like look around and see what i may have missed every couple of weeks i just go in there and dig around because you just you never know what's in there i had a I had a notice from my hospital from my doctor mm -hmm. in there like to make an appointment a very you know serious one that i needed yeah. to make and i'm like why is this in my spam folder it's my <laughs> doctor like it's ridiculous especially when it's like a reply to like an email that we are it's so annoying but yes yeah. uh it's it's a it's a struggle we're all dealing with these days <laughs> um now on this podcast uh we try to get a little into uh the how of it all so um most of the questions here it's, it's mostly going to be geared to uh your way of doing the craft every writer does it differently and uh i i love learning different things that make us uh, all different in how we do it so uh, one of the first things that we ask around here is plotter pantser architect gardener that type of thing where do you sit especially with an epic series like what you're doing hardcore plotter hardcore plotter i plot and i plot and i plot um my uh, my underrealm novels uh typically are about a hundred thousand words long and the outline when it's done right before I start writing is typically about 30,000 words long. I have fairly detailed descriptions of every single scene, including a very summarized version of the dialogue. Um, it, I'll, I'll, I'll switch uh, just sort of stream of consciousness back and forth between describing what they're talking about to just actually in the outline writing certain passages of dialogue if it's just right there already yeah it's like, the lines came to you in there yeah absolutely um the way that i describe it best is that my outline 
is like me telling somebody the entire book sitting drinking at a bar mm. so it's it's exactly that where like i've broken it down from small to big to big to bigger and then by the time i'm by the time i'm outlining i mean do you want to hear what it sounds like sure <laughs> okay let me grab my laptop here if you want to share we're here to hear it the outline for uh my next book and i'm just I'm going to read you a small part. I'm gonna, Whatever's on my screen is what I'm going to read you. Eamon meets Enelin to bring her from the palace to a mystic stronghold on the sea. He wonders if they shouldn't bring it, in quotes, to the palace instead. Enelin says, no, there's too many watching eyes around. Those eyes might be interested to note the High King stealing out of her home in the middle of the night, but at least they won't know why she left. They travel to a mystic stronghold on the seat. They're holding an artifact. It was brought from Kalentin and is on its way to the Ogden Hold. Enelin asks, what is it called again? Eamon goes grim. The Mortiris. She won't say, what is it called again? Because that's so out of style. Like, that, yeah. that has nothing to do with the way it's actually going to be written. This is just me, like, you know, again, at a bar with somebody probably talking a little too loud to be heard. So Enelin's like, what's it called again? And Eamon like, looks all grim and stuff and goes, the Mortiris. Like, that's how I would explain it to somebody verbally. And then yeah. my outline, I've got that on one half of the screen and my manuscript in the other half. And I'm just reading it. And then I'm typing it directly into actual prose for the first draft. I love it. Wow. You dress it all up when you're actually writing it the outline is just beat for beat like what's going on exactly um and i get to the outline with uh do you know the uh, the snowflake method yes i i use that in my outlines uh there you go and and often when i when i start writing a, a new chapter that's usually how i i go about it if uh you know if my outline for that chapter is not very dense i'll, mm -hmm. I'll use the snowflake method to fill it out for sure yeah yeah exactly so i, I swear I, by I start it yeah, it's really good. It's really good because it's it does exactly what it says on the tin or in the in the description, which is that if you have problems with your story idea, you find out very early. <laughs> yeah, I love it because at all stages of it, you have a complete story. Yeah. Whether you have the one sentence, it's a complete story. The five sentence first paragraph, complete story. Beginning, middle, to end. You know everything about that story. You Five paragraphs, beginning, middle, and end. You are never without an ending to your story. You always know where you're headed. That's that's why I love it. Because I'm, I'm more the gardener versus the architect. Where I do plan, I outline, but I leave a lot of room for when I'm actually writing, I'm discovering yeah. as I go and things are, and sometimes things will happen in the writing where I'm like, I got to change, I got to change the outline. I got to go yep. because this is better. So I'm going to go back to the outline. I fix it so that it all is still cohesive and still ends up where I wanted it to end up yeah. and I go back into my chapters and I keep it going. That's actually a, 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 a not, I don't, the wrong word is dichotomy, but um, I've never heard of that one. The uh, architect versus gardener. That's really cool. Yeah. That's so a the, very helpful framework. So the idea being that the architect has a plan for everything. It sounds very much like you're an architect where you, you have all the nuts and bolts, all the pieces that you need, you already have by the time you sit down to write the thing. It's, it's, it's already written in your head. You have the plans. You just have to write it. And then I don't know. I feel, I feel more gardener because I do gardener? the exact same thing. Yeah. I do the, where I'm, I'm, I, I need an outline that's going to motivate me to write the story. 
but it's definitely happened in the middle of a book where I'm like, no, 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 this is going to happen now. Like mm. this is, this has become way more interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, and then the, the, the idea being that the gardener, you know, he, the gardener knows that he's planting a tomato, but depending on the conditions and how much sunlight, how much water he gives it, how many nutrients, it's going to be a different tomato every time, bigger, smaller, sweeter, you know, whatever, uh, green, red, it, it's just the the discovery part of it is what you know what i love what, that what i love about it oh man yeah. it's the best that's awesome I, I i have a new new descriptive term now <laughs> architect gardener is one that i i i hear uh from guys like george r, r. martin he's always mm. talking about how he's a gardener especially when people ask him where the next book is he's like hey man we're sorry i'm like i'm a gardener like this like i'm out there pulling weeds right now i can't help you i don't know when it's coming <laughs> yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense to me too, because because the time it takes me to write my books very does vary tremendously. Mm. Because sometimes that tomato plant shoots right up, and sometimes uh, on my on my third series, the uh, the Tales of the Wonder, the first book took me um, the first book took me I think it was eight months. Mm. The second book took me now. The second book took me three. The third book took me a year and a half. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, uh, this first book for me, uh, you know, this is my third year. I'm, I'm coming up on three years that I've been working on it. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, I'm, I'm in the, the, you know, final stretches of the editing process. And then I've got critique partners and beta readers after that. Yeah. But um, it's been a, a long, long road for this one. And I know even though I haven't started writing it yet i know from my outlines that book two is even bigger yeah and i'm over here thinking like i'll get it done in two years They're like no you won't <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no you won't stop telling people that that's not gonna happen <laughs> good self-awareness though self-awareness is really really important I, yeah i i tell people that you can be almost anything you want to be as long as you are aware that's what you are and don't try to pretend you're something else I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And 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 that's part of the the whole author gig is kind of figuring out what kind of author you are as well. You know, throughout as you go, not just developing your own style, but like even how you market your stuff and how you put it out and how you title everything. It all comes down to who you are as an author, and, and you just totally. kind of find it. Uh, as you go, how what was that kind of process like for you? I know you you uh, mentioned in Livestream Sunday that uh, you know you have um, the the publishing house and then the world of your books under Realm and how you had to kind of like use both interchangeably because of whatever. So like, how was that kind of process for you? Is like finding your footing with this whole like I'm an author thing, you know? Yeah, um, I. Uh, Pursuant to being self-aware, um, I was very fortunate early on to discover, accept, and become okay with the fact that I'm I'm just a I'm just a mainstream bitch. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm I'm never going to be that crazy esoteric guy who introduces people to like you know the 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 two books the underrated books that I told you about in the live stream show is mm -hmm. the deepest esoteric knowledge i have i'm never going to introduce people to the next cool indie punk band years before they get big yeah or anything like that Same. my favorite my favorite book is uh, of all time is the lord of the rings my favorite movies of all time are, are the lord of the rings films it's just you know i love every single mcu film 
I like the Pretty good much. DC DC <laughs> cinematic films. I think there, there's yes. some that I don't like so, so much, but like you know, I I just I'm very mainstream, um, and so I I just am sort of like, all right, well then I'm just gonna tell classic stories. That's why it, you know I love the Snowflake method, and then I adapt that actually to um, the uh, from the book Save the Cat. Uh, which is sure. a book about uh, screenwriting. I adapt that to like, you know, I adapt my books to those story beats. And for people who are like, oh, that's so formulaic. I'm like, right. Yeah. Like, because, because that's, <laughs> because it works because like, that's such a good formula. And it's like, well, don't you want to like experiment and like, you know, write a memento or something like that? I'm like, not really. Like, I love that. I love memento yeah. as a movie. But boy, it seems it, it's so good. It seems like a real chore to write it. And also, I wrote this story where this girl became a thief and and you know fought an evil merchant. And it has three acts. And you know what? I like it a lot. Yeah. I write another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, um, when you hear Chris Nolan explain the plot yeah. of Memento, I have no problem understanding the plot of Memento until yeah. he starts explaining it. And then I'm right. like, what the hell are you talking are you about? Talking about? <laughs> he has like this this uh this visual that he puts up on a on a whiteboard that's like a it's like a hairpin, you know, it's like a, yeah. a half oval. And he's mm -hmm. like, So it starts here and, and this is the the start of the end, but then it ends in the middle, and mm -hmm. then like you come this way, and then you have flashback scenes, but then you have other flashback scenes from those flashback scenes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Writing it does seem like a real chore. <laughs> I don't want to write Memento, for sure. Yeah, me, uh, I'm like that too. Again, the, the snowflake method is a big part of like how I outline. But as far as the story beats, I also uh, uh, subscribe to something. It's not Save the Cat. It's actually the screenwriter's Bible. Okay. My logic behind that is that the best movies... The ones that follow the formula and nail it, right? They have no fat on them. They mm -hmm. have 90 minutes, maybe two hours tops to mm -hmm. tell a compelling story, to make you care about the characters, to make you actually worry about them, to make you theorize about what's coming out. They have to do it all in two quick hours. You're in and you're out. Yeah. And there's just, there's no room for fat on there. Everything needs to matter. Everything needs to get you to the next scene, et cetera, et cetera. So with the screenwriter's Bible, uh, it gives you seven turning points, which is like a condensed version of the hero's journey, which is right. what every plot structure actually is secretly, according to Ken Sean. Every yeah. story structure is the hero's <laughs> journey. Um, so I use that uh, for two reasons. That one that I just listed with, with how it structures your story, but also because I know, like we talked about earlier, that the money isn't so much in the books. If you want the big money that's in the movies and the TV shows and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, I want to write novels and I want to be able to just do that and not mm -hmm. have a day job. So where's the money going to come from? Right. I'll sell the rights to a movie studio. Yeah. <laughs> so I so I write it in a way that is easily adaptable because it's already structured like a movie on the yep. macro for the book and, uh, and in the micro for each chapter. You can break them each chapter up into an episode of a TV show if you want. And it'll, yeah. it'll work perfectly with ad breaks and everything. I, like I set it up for you. You don't yep. got to do nothing. Just just, <laughs> just just take the book, put it on the screen. Everybody's going to be happy and, and back the truck of money up onto my lawn. That's, that's absolutely a hundred percent. For me, only, I right? want to, uh, this, this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but for me, I want to be the person making the movies uh, because what's funny is I told you uh, in the live stream that I uh, worked in independent film for a while. 
And to this day, my absolute favorite activity to engage in is directing film. Um, I've done a so few fun. shorts and some web stuff and everything like that. And working on a set with a crew and actors is the greatest high that I've ever had in my life. I love it. It's also, I mean, if you think that traditional publishing is a tough industry to break into, holy crap. Film in general is tough, but yeah. I could easily have just had a, uh, had a, had a job and a career as a on-set sound guy because I had years of experience in a studio and I was really good on set and people just kept hiring me but I was like I don't want to be doing that I want to direct um, and so I did the, the classic thing of trying to write my own projects to then direct but still you need to get funding you need to build you know your your uh, connections and everything like that um, and it was a it was a friend of mine who was you know getting involved in sort of the self-publishing evolution uh, who said, well, you know, if, if you published your stories as books and you had the rights to them, mm -hmm. then that could be how that started is mm -hmm. you are you one either either have your own money for like your first small projects um, and you fund them yourself or you're able to go, hey, I have this popular book series that I own the rights to. I want to direct it. Um, so that is that is the long goal for me. Is, yeah. You know, the books are, are there being written by a whole host of people, and that's just continuing on forward. And then I step aside and, and, and jump back to the beginning of it all and start directing the Nightblade uh, movies or, or TV shows or, or something like that. And I'm imagining, of course, that there's going to be some other smaller projects in there to like fully build my chops and put together a reel and be like, no, this guy can actually do this. But yeah that's the that's the greatest thing for me so just just exactly like you i'm writing with all of that in mind for the future but with the idea that i'm the person who's going to be like all right shh, i gotta turn this shit into a script now <laughs> yeah yeah see that's for me i, I want to be a showrunner i i want to someday show run uh you know run a writer's room run a show and uh and like you i i have my eye on that on that prize in the far future mm -hmm. so that, that even even the whole idea of like oh sell the rights to a studio to make a movie that's all part of it too because it's just yeah. like because maybe with that money i can fund my own production of this other thing totally. or whatever. yeah and dude it's uh it's it's all pie in the sky dreams right now but uh totally doable i think yeah and totally in the meantime doable. we're writing books it's so cool dude it's the coolest <laughs> thing <laughs> like people don't get it people yeah. don't get how hard it is how yeah. long it takes Totally. And how absolutely thrilling and fun it is! Like they yeah. really, oh, I could write a book if I had time. I'm like, bro, uh, okay, bro, sure, you could. <laughs> so, so kind of, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> My kid could write a book too, if you know. he had. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If we all had time, like, of it's, course, a you know, hundred monkeys it, with a typewriter can write a can book. Write a book. Exactly. Give them enough time. <laughs> They'll give you Shakespeare, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, was there anything I love asking this? Was there anything that you uh, wanted to talk about on Livestream Sunday today that we maybe didn't get to in the time allotted? Oh, man. I mean, okay. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know how relevant this is. This is craft wise, but um, uh, just in terms of in terms of writing and career and stuff, I do like to talk about um, for lack of a better term, I do like to talk about, I guess, sort of activism or sure. um, or being sort of a, 
I don't know. I guess I just feel like I guess I just feel like there is an impulse in in fans of, but then also creators of entertainment, whether it's books, movies, or TV or something like that, mm. to be like to be like, well, that should always be separate from from the the real world or what you believe in. Or I'm very outspoken uh, on my YouTube channel and on all my social media about what I believe in politically. Um, and that gets me called all sorts of thing, you know, like a SJW and all that sort of stuff. And I'm just like, whatever, man. I mean, in terms of insults, we that's, live in Nama. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. In terms of insults, it's just like, that's the worst one ever I've ever heard of. I'm a warrior for social justice. You got, boy, do I feel Got me right now. where it hurts. <laughs> um, but like, it's, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to agree with you that it's just like when, you know, these idiots on TV talk about woke culture as if yeah. it's a horrible thing. And I'm like, do you understand the concept of that word? Like, first of all, it's a ridiculous word to begin with, but <laughs> the idea behind it yeah. is that you want to be a good person. Exactly. And you're using it like it's a slur. Like you yeah. don't get it, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 wild to me. And and I think that it's um I think that it's a thing that I've worked really hard to instill in the be from the beginning from the ground up because what you do see um is you see big storytellers and or studios or whatever who are now trying to pivot or course correct mm. and it is very hard mm -hmm. it's hard for them to to take this huge structure and this big thing that they've been doing for so long and now try to be more inclusive try to because you know let like in many cases they're just already a club of the same sort of homogenized group of people and now they're trying to you know uh, they're trying to uh, be a little different or be a little bit more and like it ends up with you know like uh, uh, tokenism or just sort of like a very forced feeling thing um and uh i just i see sort of see that from the outside i i do appreciate that they are making the effort that is better than not making the effort Absolutely. but i'm just like that's that's rough so it is, it is yeah. a double-edged sword for them you know yeah. it's, it's it's kind of a lose-lose situation as you say like it's great that they're putting in the effort uh is it too little too late like you know that kind of thing <laughs> it's it's one of those things that people are like okay but where was this you know 20 years ago uh -huh. so like I, I i totally get that one of the things with me you know uh i i come from a uh, a christian upbringing and there was a lot of uh a lot of uh, <laughs> weight to kind of unpack, you know, in your adulthood and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. One of the things that I did uh, with this novel was in anything that I do, I try to set it up to challenge myself. I try to yeah. paint myself into a corner and tell myself, all right, figure it out, stupid. You know, and so one of the things that I did was uh, you learn very quickly when you start writing that uh, research is a huge part of it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you, you're a per I'm a person who's always considered himself an ally and, and all that kind of stuff. But, it you know, put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. So instead of, like, using my platform to talk about whatever, whatever, I'm like, I'm going to put it in my books. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been a stoner for years. There's drug culture in my books. Hey, you know, I have, I have plenty of people in my life, in my circles, who are gay, lesbian, polyamorous, etc. Yeah. I put you know, LGBTQ characters 
as main characters because now I have to put myself in their shoes. Right. And I have to do the research to figure out how to best write that kind of character and yeah. how to not be the dum dum that just does, you know, the the whatever, you know, the bare minimum whatever and just tries to skate by with it. Like, no, like I want people to come out of this going, this was a great fucking book. Did a did a gay person write this? No. Cisgendered, you know, yeah. straight male with two kids yeah. wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's totally awesome. I think that's great. And I, you know, um, that, that was, that is one reason that was the primary impetus between behind me, um, starting legacy books and going from me to Underrealm being the collaborative thing is that, uh, you know, and I don't think that this is a thing that everybody needs to do or needs to worry about necessarily follow your uh, own path. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> Uh, you know, people were like, okay, so it's, it's really cool seeing people on the page. Um, I'd like to see more people behind the keyboard. And I was like, that's a good point. And I was already thinking of it being a multi-author endeavor again, very much like Marvel, but with Marvel and other things like DC and everything like that, again, if you've built from the ground up a club of a club of one type of person, who's your default, then it's so much harder to shift away from that. And so I was, all right, so for the first novels that I publish, for the stories, the short stories and everything like that, I'm going to try to put uh, that that diversity and repre representation behind the keyboard straight from the get-go so that that is the default. And of course, uh, anybody can, can come in and write, but I want to make a conscious effort because if you're not making a conscious effort, you're playing into the unconscious um, standards and sort of like biases of of your, the, the society you're in. And so it's just even like a little bit of leaning and course correction is just a thing that you can do that really isn't that hard that makes the world better. Yeah. And I think that that's something that is worth every, every author, artist, whatever they're doing. It's worth thinking about it because it's it's just something that you can do because we it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by whatever you think is wrong with the world everybody has their own view of what's wrong with it it's regardless it's very easy to feel overwhelmed um and feel like you can't do anything about it well you can't do everything about it you can't fix it right by yourself but you can do something <laughs> in your in your own life in your own circles in your own space you can just do your share a little bit yeah you don't need to you know have a huge platform you don't need to you know go to a rally or whatever like you don't have to put yourself in danger you can just live according to what you believe is correct exactly and just represent man just like show up every day and represent totally 100 percent. so i believe. think that that's a i think that that's a thing that people should be more willing to explore i get the impulse to just be like you know what that's real life and I want to leave that over here. And sure. I just want to do my thing without thinking about any of it. I get it. But sure. it's I, I want people to think with the other option more. <laughs> you know, especially in fantasy, it's supposed to be escapism. You're supposed yeah. to be able to leave the worries of your world behind. Absolutely. But there's a balance to everything. Yeah. And the balance comes in, especially for me. And it sounds like for you as well, character mm -hmm. comes first. Yeah. And you know every story every plot every world it all comes down to do i care about the characters that i am reading about right and so you know like you can uh you can you can want the escapism all day 
-hmm. But if your characters don't feel real, if they're not relatable, then people aren't going to like your story. Yeah. So, like, at least your characters should reflect the world around you. Again, even right. if it's fantasy, if you know if it's set in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, yeah, there's probably gay people in that galaxy. <laughs> exactly. And one thing, one thing I love, uh, which I which I I tried uh, very hard to do in my books, and I've actually established this not as a, like a rule, but as like a guiding principle for other people who write in it as well, mm. is. For for one thing, I don't particularly want to profit off of off of um, stories of other people's like oppression or sure. uh, you know like so so I I just love just having people of identities that are marginalized in our world in this world, but that's not what the that's not what the story is about. They are just Lauren is bi, for example. She but that doesn't feed. That's not a struggle for her. She doesn't mm. live in a society that. People aren't trying to kill her for that. They're trying to yeah. kill her because she stole money from them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, just, just, and that I think lends itself to that escapism because I think it, it can be so tremendously valuable to have those stories um, where that is the focus, right? Like if, if somebody wants to write about like uh, discrimination that they faced growing up, that's so valuable because that helps explain it to people who haven't gone through that. And then on the other side of the coin, it's also valuable to just be like, hey, you're here, you're queer, nobody cares. They want you to go on an adventure and save the world because you're a hero. It, it, and, and that identity is just part of who you are rather than the enemy you have to defeat in this story. Um, that's another option that just, I, I don't see a lot of people some people talk about it and they're like, well, if I, if I, you know, if I make a, if I make a, or it, it happens with racial stuff too. If I, sure. if I make a gay character or, or a black character, the, then the story becomes about that. I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. If it does, that's because you made it about that. They can just, they can just exist. <laughs> anytime, anytime people say something like that to me, I, I always have one book that I point out. It's, um, it's, uh, do I have it here? I do not have it here. It's, uh, Luther. Um, you know the show Luther on the BBC uh, starring Idris Elba? I don't. There's it's a it's a cop show. It's a you know like a detective uh, hunting serial killers kind of cop show and it okay. was Idris Elba before he was huge. It's like the thing that made him a household name. Uh, it's a BBC show. Great. I highly recommend it. The creator of that show wrote a novel about that character. Um, the first episode of that series, the very first scene begins with luther catching a serial killer he's been hunting for a long time mm -hmm. and it was a very taxing case and it's really broken him down and so like there's a, a big time jump between the moment where he catches this guy and the first new case of the series so it's kind of like this little prologue -y kind of thing that happens in that episode the novel is that case mm -hmm. you know so it's a prequel. Mm -hmm. yeah idris elba a very large very handsome black man mm -hmm. In the books, in the book, written well after the show was created and well after everybody knows Luther as Idris Elba, the mm -hmm. only description of that character anywhere in that novel is mm -hmm. Luther, a big man with a big walk. That's his description. <laughs> and regardless of what his voice is like in the dialogue, which if you watch the show, you're hearing Idris Elba. It sounds mm -hmm. like a big, tall black man who's talking mm -hmm. to you with a very deep voice. Mm -hmm. All of that is there and it totally rings true. 
But if you had never seen the show before, mm -hmm. you would have no idea that the character was black. That just, that's my proof. I always just put that in people's faces right there. Like, yeah. that's, there you go. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you can 100%. just make the character that because there's people like that. They totally. Exist. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I think that that's a thing that is just another one of those things that's good to put in people's awareness just to let people know that that's an option let it percolate nobody has to do anything that they don't want to we're not talking about forcing anybody to write any kind of story that they don't want to because yeah. people get defensive when yeah. you talk about this they get you're really trying to defensive. force me to do what no right and it's like no i just want people to know it is an option because people <laughs> don't really yeah <laughs> that's wild um, we have about five minutes left, so I'm going to ask you two questions that we ask every author on this podcast, right. uh, because everybody has a different opinion on these two things. The first one is writer's block. Mm. Do you get it? Do you even believe in it? Some of us don't. If you do get it, how do you battle it? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for me, what, what manifests as, as quote unquote writer's block, um, it, which I, I don't use quotes to say that I don't believe in it. Uh, I do. Um, but for me, it is the rest of my life interfering. Um, mm. It's uh, my wife, my three kids, um, you know, whatever else is going on in my life that makes it so that I can't write. Um, and you like I used to beat myself up about it really hard was like, you're not writing, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. Um, and I went you know, from, uh, from 2019 to 2020, my writing productivity dropped off tremendously and I still struggle with this because right I was when like, we all had the most time to write. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was kicking myself for. I was like, you're stuck at home all the time. Yeah. Why aren't you? And it's like, because life, man, because you're freaked and stressed and your kids are home all the time. Do you want to be somebody who just that strange figure in their lives who exists in that room that we're not allowed to go into? No. Right. So, so you have to, you have to be uh, gentle with yourself and mm. accepting you. Sometimes what I need is that kick in the pants. It's like, okay, you're, you're maybe screwing around a little too much. You're maybe going and playing like more D and D than you should. You maybe could spend more time writing, but then on the other side of things, you have to be like, you've got a family member who's going through a health thing right now. The world is in a global pandemic. Stuff is going on. Be gentle with yourself. Mm. Um, so that is what writer's block is to me. I never ever sit down at my desk and am unable to start putting words down. And I know that even if I put bad words down late, now I'm going to turn them into good words later. So that form of writer's block doesn't exist for me. But if somebody is struggling with, they sit down at the laptop or the computer and they can't put the words down, it's very possible that it's just that there's something else that's going on in your life that maybe needs your attention before you're ready to do that. That's sort of my vague idea of writer's block as a subject. It's actually very good advice. You know, a lot of times uh, folks will come on here and, and say that, uh, and I agree with them, of course, that this is sometimes the case where you sit down and the words don't come out. If you're writing a particular project, maybe you need to go back to your outline. Maybe there's something wrong in the narrative. Maybe you took a wrong turn somewhere and you got to maybe delete a couple of uh, a couple of uh, chapters, maybe even. I don't know. But right. something is wrong somewhere. Go back. Find the point where you're comfortable with everything and then start again from there. Um, for, for me... 
<clears throat> for me, it's usually that either I, I need to go back to my outline, something's wrong, or I, I do feel some sort of like blockage and I have to like create a scenario for me to break through it. You know, stream yeah. of consciousness writing, put on a timer, keep the keys clacking, writing complete gibberish and nonsense. doesn't matter. Just keep it going until that alarm yeah. goes off. By the end of it, you've written something and you kind of like got the water flowing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's I want to say that I don't believe in it, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it does hit me sometimes. Yeah. Um, the other one is imposter syndrome. Oh. You know, yeah. What is that like for you? How do you kind of deal with imposter syndrome when it lurks its ugly head? Okay. Um, so, the, uh, uh, welcome to the question that makes me sound like the douchiest person in the world. I don't <laughs> know her. I don't know her um, because, like, you know, um, I just uh, I was raised to to have an unjustified. An, an unjustifiably high opinion of myself <laughs> just how i was raised my parents told me that i was an That's only you child are. you know growing up i was richer than anybody should be my parents were super rich they lost it all when i was like 14 or 15 but i grew up a rich white man only child doted on by two incredible loving parents who were nothing but supportive and wonderful in every single thing that i ever wanted to do Okay. I had to, in my teenage years, have people go, hey, man, you are not perfect. And I was like, <laughs> sounds what? fake. Right. Like, <laughs> um, I had to I had to do some major ego checking in the time. And I like there's 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 something to be said for having your family's fortunes like absolutely tank and toilet out because I would probably be way douchier than I am right now <laughs> if I hadn't had that major reality check you know the what the academy journals uh, which we talked about in the live stream mm -hmm. and the extreme privilege that Eben grew up with that he is having to unlearn is deeply delving into my own life experience I appreciate um, that yeah uh and so when people are like I don't know I don't feel like what I wrote is good enough and I'm like that sucks yeah because i don't think i'm <laughs> i'm self-aware enough to know that not I've, I've never written any prose as good as martin or tolkien or jordan but i'm like that's not what i'm that's not what i'm going for and i know that i've never written characters as as compelling as like my favorite characters from my favorite books but i'm just i'm just building these stories that i think are really fun and i still read all my books and i'm like i read you know one chapter and i it just passes me by and then i read another chapter and i'm like that's actually pretty good. I like that one. People are like, it's, um, so, so if I have anything to say about imposter syndrome, take it with a grain of salt because I'm not somebody who, who, uh, who has it. But, um, the thing that I will say is that, um, it's not fair or right that the crappiest, worst people who exist in the world, the truly bad, evil people who are out there in the world, think really highly of themselves, and you do not. You, not you, you. The, 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 royal, the royal you. Sure. Whoever, is, whoever is going through imposter syndrome, you are a better person than so many terrible people out there, and you are a better writer and artist than so many really really bad artists and writers out there who think they're great so yeah. to a degree this also is a product of growing up in los angeles to a degree 
fake it till you make it. Mm. Just pretend you think that your work is good and worth continuing. And eventually you hopefully will actually believe it. But even if you never come to believe that yourself, you will still be putting work out there in the world. And that will be important to someone. That will be really vitally important to somebody. You will help them. You might change their life or help them survive a situation that they might not have survived. They might come and tell you that, and you might not believe them. You might be, well, it wasn't my work that did that. It was you, you did. It doesn't matter if you believe them. Take your ego out of it. You need to tell yourself that your work is good enough to continue in order for it to help people. So just, just keep going. Keep going anyway. I don't care if you don't think you're good enough. Somebody else needs what you're doing right now. I don't care what it is. I don't know what it is. Somebody else needs it. Who cares if you don't like it? <laughs> yeah. You know, because it, it rings so true because you're sitting there talking about how you don't feel like you write as compelling characters as your favorite characters in literature and all that kind of stuff. But as you were saying it, I'm sitting here going, yeah, but your characters are that for somebody else. Exactly. And they may not be that for you, but they're that for somebody else. And, you know, I, I'm going to sound like a complete broken record for anyone who has heard any episode of this podcast before because i've said this a million times but i believe that imposter syndrome as at least for authors <clears throat> excuse me is a bit of a misunderstanding of something that's part of being at least a new author which is you know imposter syndrome happens especially when you feel like oh i'm just writing like I'm trying to write like Tolkien or I'm trying to write like Gaiman or I'm trying, you know, like it's clear to me that I'm just trying to be these other writers. Right. And, uh, you know, every well accomplished writer will tell you the exact same thing. Steal from everybody. Yeah. All of your favorite writers, all that great stuff that you love that they do, do that. You love how epic Gaiman's fantasies are, right? Epic fantasies like Gaiman. You love, you know, the the internal uh, dialogue or internal monologue of George Martin's characters. Do that. Put that in your, like, just steal from all the people that you love the best because that's how you develop your own yeah. style. Like, they didn't just come up with that. They yeah. they stole from a bunch of other people and made their own style, etc. So, it's you're not an imposter. You're just figuring it out. Totally. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, none of them. Uh, Tolkien never got why people liked Lord of the Rings as much as they did. I <laughs> Isn't guarantee, that hilarious? Yeah, I, I guarantee Martin is like, well, I mean, I like the books, but some of you people are crazy. And yeah. like, you'll be somebody else's Martin and you will read your own book and you'll be like, it's fine, I guess. But then it's, you'll look at somebody who is dressed up as your character and got a tattoo of a quote oh and you'll be like, I mean, I'm fine with the book, but you're crazy, man. That's If I go to a con and somebody's dressed up as my favorite character, I'm going to lose my shit. Yo. <laughs> I cheated. I actually I actually commissioned and hired a cosplayer to do Lauren one time because I couldn't wait anymore. I was like, no. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. I did I I tried to do something similar once. Uh, you know, before I started writing this novel, I was working on a graphic novel with some friends of mine that mm -hmm. never actually got finished because while we wrote the the plot in a writer's room type situation, it came down to me to write the scripts and I just wasn't a good enough writer yet. And I spent like years just turning wheels, trying to get these scripts to a point where I can be proud of them and they could be proud of them. And ultimately yeah. I was like, I need to like, I need to like actually earn my stripes as a writer. I can't do this yet. But one of the things that we did in that series was we cast 
one of my real life friends as one of the main characters in the book. Her name, her likeness, everything, even her real world occupation. In our awesome. story, one of the big villains was the Secretary of State, and there's a whole political thing going on. So our point of view character there was the Deputy Secretary of State. She's not the Deputy Secretary of State in the real world, but she works for the State Department. Yeah. She works in that world. And she was going to look exactly like the character in the book, so that if we did go to cons, and I had my friend at my table mm -hmm. with the little pin on the thing. and That's you know, the character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's her. And people walk up and have the comic and see her and freak out and Oh, Hell it would yes. have been so good. It never happened. But. Ah, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> someday, someday. <laughs> Mr. Robinson, thank you so very much for doing both of my shows today. This was fan freaking tastic. Uh, I had a blast. blast. I yeah. can't wait to have you on again. Thank you so much for kicking off the season in such uh, in such style and grace. Thank you so my much. Total pleasure. For everyone out there, uh, if you want more from Mr. Robinson, he has his own uh, YouTube channel. Link is in the description down below. It's and sporadic. Fair warning. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not as disciplined as I've. As you I've are. seen some action. I've seen some action on your channel. Like you were doing some stuff recently. I saw yep. some stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's sporadic. It's sporadic. It's always writing first. And if I have time, I put up a video. Hey man, if there's ever a quote to go by and end on, is writing first. Absolutely. <laughs> Like, comment, subscribe, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys Sunday for the next episode of Livestream Sunday. Mr. Garrett Robinson, thank you again. Have a great one. And right on, writers. We out.